Loving God, loving people. Welcome to Shiloh Church in Oakland, California. Here's today's message from Pastor Jules Moore. Awesome. If you guys could do me a favor, if you guys got your Bibles, open up to the book of Romans chapter 3. And if you are taking notes, we are in this series called Limitless. And uh, we are believing for God to break off all limitations. Uh, real quick, next weekend, Friday, Saturday, is our Set Apart Conference. Come on, you could do better than that. I said next Friday, Saturday is our Set Apart Conference. If you are youth, young adult, young professional, pretty much if you just think you're young and you want to come and worship God and have an amazing time, please come. You can actually register for the conference right out these doors in the gym. This year, we're doing something a little bit different. Saturday morning, we're going to have a bunch of donuts. We're just going to break Daniel off real quick. We'll meet up with Daniel next week. No, I'm just messing. You don't have to eat the donuts. We just want to test your faith and see how strong you are in the Lord. But in the morning, they're going to have breakfast and they're going to have some fruits and vegetables too. Um, But then we're going to have a time of worship and actually three buses are going to pull up in front of the church. And we're literally going to send hundreds of young people, young adults throughout the city of Oakland to beautify a school, to go into West Oakland and do some rescue teams and in downtown Oakland. So literally in one day, we're hoping for 300 and something young people to literally go and impact the city of Oakland for Jesus. Come on. So if you want to be a part of that, you can also register for that. And then Saturday night is free game. Anybody that wants to come, I didn't tell first service this, but Saturday night, if you want to come rock with us, we won't turn you away and it'll be a great time. So make sure you guys check that out. And again, if you guys got your Bibles, Romans chapter three, let's jump in this. If you're taking notes, um, you can write this down. Is it getting through? Have you ever looked at somebody and asked them that, like, you know, that rhetorical question or in your mind, you're like, is what I'm saying actually getting through to you? How many guys got kids? You know what I'm saying? How many guys, you know, you want to have kids one day? Okay, many hands did not go up. It's okay. God will give you the faith for that. It's all right. But after having kids, I've always been like, man, is what I'm saying, is it actually getting through? Because my daughter will just look at me like this sometimes, like, like you're not understanding, but we're talking about limitless and really the, the, the premise of my, my sermon and my, my, my talk today is really, is the grace of God getting not only to you, but is it getting through you? Is the grace of God affecting your life and changing you to become more like Christ? And is that grace that you've experienced, is it contagious? Is it extending beyond you? And in Romans, we see that the Apostle Paul, he begins to lay down some amazing things in Romans chapter 3, where he begins to show us that it is all about faith in the grace of God. That it's not based on our works, it's not based on our activity, but rather it's based on our connectivity with God in order for us to have a thriving, limitless relationship with God. And he writes in, in verse, or chapter 3, verse 20, He writes, let me find it in my Bible real quick. He says, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as promised in the writings of Moses. And the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this truth for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, look at your neighbor and say, no matter who you are. If you really want to say, no matter who you be. For everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, 
freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of sin, of our sin. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus Christ, his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. Now I got to go to Romans chapter 5. We're going to read a few more verses and then we'll end in Psalms. Romans chapter 5 verse 18 says this, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they are. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. Other translations say, where sin abound, grace abound all the more. Where there was confusion and chaos, it kept increasing, it kept expanding. I said sin had the same, you know, uh, uh, it was like rabbit sin. You know what I'm saying? You ever put two rabbits together? It just multiplied, multiplied, multiplied. Sin just kept getting more and more out of control. And as sin increased, God's grace was so overwhelming that grace increased to bring whoever that was far away from God back to him. I don't believe no one is too far gone for the grace of God not to abound and rescue that person. Verse 21. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Christ, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, let me break down real quick as we make our way to Psalms. We're going to go one more verse and then. We'll transition and pray. Psalms 133, if you guys can turn there or scroll there, whatever you need to do. Psalms 133. Now, as Paul is writing this, what he's, what he's stating for us, what he's helping us to understand is this, is that we were once enemies to God. Whether you know this or not, when you were in sin and far away from him, you were opposing God's law and his rules and his regulations. And the more you sin, the further and further you drifted away from God's truth. That only way that we could be rescued is not by what we do, how much we do, or our church attendance, or how much we tithe, or how much we serve, or how much we know the pastor, or how much we know someone on, on, on a screen, or how, some, how much we know people of faith. None of that matters. What is the determining factor of our salvation is, do you have faith That Jesus Christ is who he says he was and who he is coming back to do. Who he is coming back to do. What he is coming back to do. Praise God. I mean. It's faith in grace. That God's undeserved, unmerited favor, unearned favor now rests upon your life. That you are not justified by works, but by faith in what Jesus did on the cross for our sins. Now that revelation alone should cause somebody to stand on their feet, wave a hanky, slap the person behind him and say, are you listening to this? Because believe it or not, boo, you may have got your nails done last week and got a pedicure. And got them braids tightened, but God did not like you when you were in sin. 
You were wrong. You deserved hell and wrath. And guess what? You are not alone. Everyone in this room, the weight of sin was against us. But when Jesus died on the cross and we begin to put our faith that, wow, a God of the world, of the universe would love me so much that he would stretch out his grace towards me and pull me back out of my darkness, I'm saved. I belong to him. I am now in harmony with God. And David has a revelation of this harmony that not only we receive from God, but how this harmony is with God is supposed to translate into how we get along with other people. Verse 30, or chapter, one, chapter 133 says this, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony, unity is what he's saying. Unity is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of, mountains of Zion. And there the Lord pronounced or commands his blessing and, ever, and even life everlasting. Let's pray over this as we jump in. Father, we thank you for your word today. And I ask God that you would bring clarity. And I pray just a move of your presence and of your spirit today. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just begin to illuminate this revelation of grace. And God, let the grace of God not stop with us, but let it get through us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said... We recently purchased a home about six months ago, right when our second child was born, which was an incredible accomplishment because it was just God's hand was on it. We tried purchasing a home a couple of years ago and it did not work. It actually just kind of tweaked us a little bit, but God was, we really feeling like, Hey, we need to step out in faith. We need to go ahead and do this. And it came to the point where our daughter was about to be born and I was actually, actually reluctant. I was like, man, I don't feel like looking for any more homes. I'm just going to chill. Let's just stay where we are. But my wife was like, nah, babe. I feel like God's going to do something. And so you know it's God when your wife is like pushing you, like, come on, let's go. She's usually, I'm usually the first person like, let's jump off of this cliff. It's going to be incredible. Do we have a parachute? No, but I got a plastic bag from Lucky's. We'll be okay. But she is like, let's go for it. So we, we go for it and she finds this place and it's like the perfect spot for us. It's like just right with us, enough space for us to have ministry and be able to have people over a great place for our kids. And so God just totally like pushed it through. Everything happened. We were like, thank you, Jesus, praise God. Everybody got their space. It was cool. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, God. I, we we're blessed. And you know, the thing that when you transition from like, you know, renting to owning a home, the difference is, is that if something breaks, you can't call nobody. You know, you the super. You the super. You know, you're, you're the superintendent of the house. And so a couple of weeks into it, don't laugh because it'll get me. Anyway, a couple of weeks into to, to owning the home, we're painting, we're doing all this stuff. And we walk by one of the bathrooms and we start to smell something. We're like, okay. We're going to have to clean that up, put a, a, a Glade plug in or something like that. We're going to have to hook this up. So we noticed that a day later that, you know, just all of the stuff that was there in the house started to come to the surface. All of the secret hidden sin of the home started to rise up and made itself very apparent. And we had to rebuke the toilet demon. 
So we're going through this whole process and me being the man, I'm like, all right, girl, I got this. I'm going to go fix this. So we're plunging it. We're trying to figure out how this happened. We're blaming kids. We're like, maybe Vivi threw a teddy bear in there. She would do something like that. We're just pointing the blame all on everybody. I go to Lowe's. I get a snake. I get a crocodile. I get whatever creature I can to fix this toilet, to get it going. And I'm doing everything I possibly can. And still the demon just refuses to leave our home. So finally we did like all Christians do. We called on somebody. We were just like, God, no, I'm just joking. We called a plumber. And we're like, hey, bro, can you come and fix this thing? And sure enough, he came in and he, he began to inform us that the problem was actually not the toilet. It was pipes underneath the home right outside our bathroom. And so he drove a snake in there, cleaned all of this stuff up. There were some roots that had grown in the pipes. And the moment that he began to clear up those pipes, we had flow. Things began to leave like they were supposed to. It was awesome. It was like, you know, uh, just this moment in God. We were like, thank you, Jesus. The thing is, is everything began to flow right. We were cool. We were high-fiving each other. You know what I'm saying? We were just washing our hands for no apparent reason, just because we could now. But the thing that I learned in that moment, I was like, man, this is so true, not only for our earthly homes, but it's so true even for the house of God. The moment that this one small aspect of the home became dysfunctional, it destroyed the harmony of the entire house. Because of the smell of what was coming from this one space, this confined area began to creep into all the other areas of the house and it got so unbearable that nobody could ignore it. And I wonder, sometimes as Christ followers, we believe that we can come into the house of God and we believe that we don't play a part in the harmony of God that's being created or the dysfunction that's being created. And the thing that's funky to the Lord, when God comes into our lives and he goes, what's that smell? It's sin that causes that dysfunction. And I'm not just talking about, you know, I mean, you know, what are the sins that God hates? You ever ask that question like, God, what's really funky to you? And most people probably think, man, it's them sexual sins. Those are the ones that are get you. You know, and that's what most people usually go to. But when we look through God's word, what begins to bring disorder and dysfunction and funk into the house of God, it's found in Proverbs 16, verse 6, and it says this, These six things the Lord hates indeed, even are repulsive to him. A proud look, the attitude that makes one overestimate of oneself and discounts others. A lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that creates wicked plans. Feet that run swiftly to evil. And a false witness who breathes out lies, half-truths. And the last one is this. And a one who spreads discord among the brothers. The amazing thing about this verse of scripture is that all of these sins are based out of relationship and the life of another person. He said pride and arrogance, that is what makes God repulsed at our lives. When you see arrogance and self-righteousness and self-justification and we turn our nose up to other people because we believe that we're better than them or that we're more superior to them, that says that sin, God says, oh, that's, that don't smell so right. And he says, the things that actually cause conflict and disorder, when you go to hurt someone and cause them harm, when abuse is taking place, or when you're sowing, sowing discord, when you're causing dysfunction and disorder to happen in your relationships, these are the things that God hates. And I don't know if you've ever been in a relationship long enough, or I'll just be open and honest with you. How many guys just, you've been married or you've been in a relationship, and you know that moment where you get into like an intense discussion, 
Let's just call it that. It's not an argument. It's just a subtle disagreement that we're having. And you literally could just see people going like this, like just talking, all neck is moving. And then somebody walked by their car window. You <laughs> roll up the window. See you next time. And then this is right back at it. You know what I'm saying? Just all going in there. And the funny thing is if you're in a relationship long enough, you can even see it when someone else has that problem. Like there's times when we just see young couples come in and we're like, y'all been fighting, huh? <laughs> yeah, I know what that smells like. <laughs> I know exactly what that smells like. But the thing is, is that disunity becomes apparent. It may not always be on the surface, but there's a certain funk when there's sin and there's separation within relationships. And God, his desire, his design was not only to bring harmony, to be at peace with him and us, but to be at peace and harmony with each other. You see, I can't stand when people say like, I love God, but I can't stand church. I get it. But you're missing a component because guess what? You make up the church. So what you're really saying is this, I like God, but I don't like people. And there's a certain level of immaturity and dysfunction that all of us have to get over because if God and his love and his grace was so able to fix and heal and restore us, then for us to be Christ followers, we have to have the capacity to not only receive grace, but to extend grace. And the moment that you disable yourself of that, the question of this is, is, How much grace does God have for us? Have you ever asked, like, how many times is God going to forgive us? And many people, I believe people that have grown up in church, they live with this level of confusion because they believe that God's grace, they're just one more sin before God removing his grace off their life. They're like, man, if I go to the club one more time, God ain't going, I'm not going to heaven. Not that you should be going to the club, but... Another thing is people are like, man, if I, I cheated on my taxes back in 1962, I, I, know, I know God ain't happy with me. There's a dysfunction and an un, unreal aspect of what God's grace is. Jesus said that if someone sins against you, you're to show forgiveness seven times, seven times. He begins to say, this is how crazy God's grace is. While God, while Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. While being tortured and mutilated by his own creation, what does God show through the life of Jesus? Grace and mercy coming forth from the cross. Grace is this amazing component that if we understand it truly, not only will it change our lives, but it will increase the capacity, the mercy, the patience, the ability to serve those that are around us. And it will create a sense of unity in the body that God has designed us to live for and walk in. This is God's desire and design for people. And when we see when, when even when Jesus was talking about the, the, the unforgivable sin, He said, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You see, these Jewish leaders, these Pharisees, they came to a point where they saw Jesus was doing good things, but they refused to recognize him as the son of God. And they kept drifting and antagonizing and beginning to figure out if you're, this is who you say you are, if this is real. And they avoided the Holy Spirit. They ignored what God was doing. They kept belittling the moves of the Holy Spirit to the point where God says, I can't do nothing with you because your heart has become so callous to the presence and to the grace of God. 
and let it not be for us. And some people in this room right now, they were like, well, well, maybe I've blasphemed God. Maybe I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And, and I know that I, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to make it into heaven. And I don't want you to just rest assured on my words, but I want you to rest assured on the word of God. The Bible says that if you come with, to God and you say, Lord, forgive me, wash me, redeem me, and you encounter his grace, and his grace gets on the interior of your motivations and of your desires, that grace will begin to come out of your life, and you'll begin to live like Jesus and look like Jesus and talk like Jesus and when people cut you off on the road you begin to show grace and mercy and you start to recognize man if God can save me let alone what he can do for you for all have fallen short of the glory of God none of us are exempt of it but that's how amazing his grace is how powerful his grace can be On the life of a believer, it changes you. That's what gets us saved. Not our activity, but our connectivity with God. It's grace. You see, grace has the ability to transform a life for somebody that's been living in sin and just, I mean, some of us in this room, you were really good at sin. Like you was just living in debauchery. That's an old biblical word. Is that right? Your nickname was debauchery. Look at debauchery, walking down the street, just sinning, living all lasciviousness and wickedness. Your name was adultery. Your name was fornicator. Your name was this and that. You lived in sin. You were known based on your sin. I had a guy come up to me. He's like, bro, you didn't know this, but before I came in here, I used to knock people out. And if you ever need someone knocked out, just let me know. You need people like that in the kingdom of God. You know what I'm saying? That can just lay hands on somebody and pray the prayer of faith. I appreciate those brothers that have come far in the Lord. But where there was sin, that's where grace abound. That grace have the ability to take broken and messed up people and pull them out of their dysfunction and show them that you are a son and a daughter of God. And no matter who got a hold of you or said something about you, you can live like God wants you to. That is grace. You no longer identify with that old life, but with the new life that Jesus is bringing in you. And this is God's desire for us. And this is why we have to guard that grace. We have to make sure that we don't belittle that grace. We have to make sure that we don't sabotage that grace. That we don't hold that grace hostage from other people who need that grace. And this grace is the only way that you're going to be able to put up with the people that are sitting in the pews right next to you now. It's only by faith in God's grace, in his son Jesus, that you're able to deal with the people you work with, connect with, worship with, serve with. Because this unity, it's all about grace. In Psalms 133, it says, Behold and how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Not only is good and it's pleasurable. How many guys know it's probably good to eat a salad every once in a while? But it's pleasurable to eat a rib. You don't usually see those things come together at the same time. 
He says, behold, because we don't see it. Especially in a world that is full of chaos and dysfunction, especially when people want to raise racial kingdoms and gender kingdoms above God's kingdom. We see division and chaos and people searching for some kind of security. And the only thing they can identify security in is what they see on the outside. But God says, no, security comes from inside knowing who Jesus Christ is. And when you have that grace that's on your life, and grace is contagious, a community of grace, behold how good and how pleasurable it is when brothers dwell together in unity. You know when my wife is the most irresistible? All the time. It's a freebie right there, I got that. No, my wife is the most irresistible when we're unified together. When we start having conversations and it doesn't lead to a fight, you know you could be arguing over cantaloupe. You don't like cantaloupe? My mama used to make me cantaloupe. But when we're unified and we're in agreement and we're talking the same language and we're like, high five. Yeah, I was believing. I'm praying for that. You are going to. And then I'm like, whoa, you look good. I don't know what this is right now. It's called Unity. Behold how good and how pleasurable it is when people dwell together in unity. It is like precious oil, consecrated oil poured out on the head, coming down on the beard. Even the beard of Aaron coming down upon the edge of his priestly robes, consecrating the whole body. You see, David has this revelation, not only how amazing to be unified with Christ, but what it looks like to be unified together as a community, how valuable this is. And he says he uses the language that the Israelites would understand, what they would do when a person to be inaugurated as a priest. That means they were like a government official. They would stand on behalf of the people in God. What they would do is they would grab a vat of oil, and the oil would be super fragrant. It would have all of this incense and all of these smells. It was aromatic. People would smell it all throughout the community. And what they would do is they would take that vat of oil, and as a sign of God's favor, of God's grace on their life, they would come to the priests, and they would say, we're anoint you with oil. Like that. Juices and berries. Juices and berries. And they would anoint the oil. And the oil would be so intoxicating, so overwhelming, that they would pour so much oil that it would drench all of the clothing. It would get down into the fabric. I told Larry I was going to be cool. I just might go crazy with this, though. But what David has, he has a revelation of this. And he says, this is how precious it is to God when the community of saints dwell together in unity. Their God commands a blessing. I needed some oil in there. But the thing is, the oil represents God's grace, his favor. When you were anointed, that means God had favored you and set you apart for a great work. And God says in his word that it's a unity, it's an anointing that we have. It invokes the presence and the nearness and the, it, 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 it attracts us, it attracts God when he sees community of believers come together and rather than allowing silence, rather than allowing negativity, hurts or wounds, but even when someone begins to speak death over somebody, even when someone begins to gossip over someone, rather than just staying silent, they speak up because silence is really a vacuum. 
You think just because you hear gossip and you let it slide and you didn't say nothing, well, if you didn't speak against it, you're co-signing on it. But if unity is what commands the blessing of God, what happens when we have bitterness? What happens when we have sin in our hearts against someone else? If the oil of God was being poured out, maybe we actually stop the grace of God on our lives and in our marriages because we allow offense, because we allow the grace to stop with us. Or maybe even when someone has offended us back in 1982 and we still walk around harboring that offense. And some of this is real. Some people have offenses when they were five years old, but they can have grace for themselves, but they show will never allow that person to, to, to experience the same grace that they experience. You see, the things, the dysfunctional thing about sin is that everybody knows how to justify sin. And if someone sins against us, we can justify why we're right to harbor offense. Oh, you don't know what they did to me. And that's the ladies talking like that. And seen a couple of things. But what happens is this. When we allow fence to come into our hearts and we don't allow it to wrestle with the grace of God and we harbor that offense, we shield ourselves, we block the grace of God to extending to that person. The best description that I can show you is like holding grace hostage until this person does what you think is going to make things right. But guess what? If you weren't justified by works, if you didn't come to God and God says, well, I need you to give me 25 Hail Marys, run 15 laps, and drop about 10 pounds, and then we'll talk about forgiveness. If God didn't make you go through that kind of work in order for you to experience grace, who in the hell in heaven are you to hold grace hostage from somebody else? That's the dysfunction. When you overestimate who you are, that's what begins to remove and repel the grace of God on your life. You see, there's a loophole to this thing. You didn't read the fine print when they put oil on your head and prayed for you and said, confess and say after me. But a part of salvation, Jesus said these words, oh, loving Jesus, the sweet dude, the one that gives out food and passes out bread and fish. He said, if you are unwilling to forgive your brother, how do you expect the Father in heaven to forgive you? If grace can come to your life, who are you to stop the grace from flowing through your life? It's all by faith. It's all by trusting and depending upon God and saying, God, I don't have the ability. I don't have the energy. I don't have the capacity. But by your grace, oh God, your undeserved, unmerited favor, that if you can love me in the midst of all of my stuff, God, then I can extend the grace that you've offered to me. You see, I figured out the reason to solve every problem. You should write this down. I'm going to eliminate every argument that you could potentially have for the rest of your life. If you want to eliminate an argument, our arguments are really, at some point, one of the parties or more are refusing to be like Jesus. That's it right there. I'm done. I'm good. 
every argument is based on someone needs or desires not being met. And when you come to follow Christ, you let go of that right to be right to say, God, you showed mercy for me. I choose to be like your son. You see, there's going to be moments where you're going to hear gossip, you're going to hear backbiting, you're going to be talking, but you have to say, no, 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 no. Do you understand? Those words are not just words. Those words are repelling the grace of God. You are scotch guarding us from the grace to be on our church, on our family, on our house. You have to be mindful of those words. There's two things I want us to get before we get out of here. The big idea is this, God's grace enables us to be unified with Christ and unified with others. It's God's grace that came to us. But ask yourself, is that grace getting to others? Is that grace getting through? You see, we have all fallen short of the glory of God's standard. We have to come back and reassess who we are in the kingdom of God and who we weren't, once were apart from his kingdom. And when we have an accurate assessment of ourselves and we're able to see ourselves through the lens of grace, it creates another capacity to show grace to those that are far away from him. But you gotta have that accurate assessment of yourself. That pride and self-righteousness, that is what destroys people's lives because they get stuck in that. They get stuck in bitterness. They get stuck in confusion. They get stuck in hurt and they never allow the grace to create an escape out of that dysfunction. And even those are people that come to church. The second thing is this, God's grace overpowers and outweighs every sin. And what I mean by this is, is that there are so many people that feel like they're so far gone that God can't rescue them. I, I think it's, it's ridiculous when you hear people say like, hey man, I'm gonna come to church, but I just gotta get a couple of things right. Like, bro, you've been working on this for the last 25 years, you ain't got it right. What's 25 more years or 25 more minutes gonna do to help you get it right? But what that indicates to me is that They don't understand grace because grace says, no, come right now and we'll get it right together. No, come, come right now. Come before God right now. Run to him. I love those verses. Just draw near to God and he will draw near to you. For God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him but none of us are far too gone. And if there's any repentance in your heart that would say, God, I'm out of pocket. Lord, I need your grace. His grace is available right now for healing, for restoration, to bring us back to life, to restore our minds that have been confused and abused. This morning, God's grace, where sin abound, grace abound all the more. Let's pray. I want you to bow your heads as we close this morning or this afternoon. You know, as I was preparing for this, I was even asking the Lord in first service, just God, what do you want to do at the end? And I I believe we could go through our traditional 
kind of setting, you know, repeat after me and say these things, which I think there's a time and a place for all of that. But even what we saw in the middle of worship, I just feel, and I'm convinced of it, that there's some people in the room that you've just been living with brokenness and hurt and wounds and just garbage. And you've experienced the grace of God to some degree, but God is trying to get that grace through you. God is trying to come and heal those areas of your heart that you've even been lied to about, that you've been stuck in. Without any shame, without any of that. But I just want to say the altar is open to receive the grace of God right now in this moment. Even if you need to get out of your seat and come down to the front, maybe you need to get out of your seat right now and kneel right where you are, whatever you need to do. But I just sense that there are people in the building right now in this moment, you need to come out of that place of being stuck, come out of that place of dysfunction and begin to cry out even from to God and say, God, I need a fresh revelation of your grace and of your mercy. God, I need you to remind me who you are and who I am because the pain, the wounds, the afflictions, what happened years Years ago, God, I need you to restore my heart that I can extend your grace. We just come against that thing right now in the name of Jesus. Every bit of backbiting, gossiping, every bit of lying, all that would sow discord in your family, in your marriage, in your own life, in past relationships, we come against that thing right now in the name of Jesus and we sever the lying tongue of the enemy and we declare that this is going to be a house of unity. This is going to be a house of victory. Come on, some moms and dads need to get up and say, it is not going to be disunified there is not going to be disjointed but whatever that thing is we come against it now in the name of Jesus and we speak restoration we speak the grace of God to begin to reach into those dark places and begin to crush every lying deceiving thought that would exalt itself against the name of Christ Jesus Some of you don't even believe the grace of God is sufficient to cover your sins. You're wrong. And that's how the enemy has held you back from stepping into the call of God. Why is the grace so important? Because the enemy understands that once you understand it, you will remove all of that lie, all of that dysfunction, all of the discouragement. Because when you know, wait a minute, God's grace is for me. And if he is for me, what can stand against me? His grace enables me to be more than a conqueror. Greater is his grace that is in me than anything that is in this world once you have a revelation of the grace of God and the harmony that you have in heaven the harmony that you were once at war with God but now God is on your side the Bible says that God makes a table for us in the midst of our enemies but God is the one that first made a table for us when we were his enemies His grace is here right now. Come on, can we just worship just for about 15 seconds or so and just receive the grace of God? And again, if you need to respond to this, if you're far away from God and you need to get right, come on, you can even come out of your seats right now and just say, hey, that's me. I need his grace. Maybe there's things that you've been withholding. There's been hurt and bitterness and these things that have crept into your heart. You can come down to the altar right where you are and just say, God, I receive your grace. Father, we cover this this congregation, this church, and we say we guard the grace right now. 
God, we guard the grace that is on this house. We say, Father, we will be people that speak life. We will be people of integrity. We will be people that guard each other. We will be people that guard our family, our brothers and sisters that are in Christ. We will be people that speak life and encouragement. And God, where there's discouragement, God, we will encourage ourselves in the Lord because greater is your grace, God. Thank you for listening to this message from Pastor Jules Moore. We invite you to join us at Shiloh Church for worship, prayer, and the message of God every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Or watch us online at shilohchurch.com.